going to do something just slightly different from the normal pattern of things. I'd like to give you something of an introduction before we read our scripture text, which is Exodus 31, verses 1 through 13. So, what I want you to think about for a moment is how you are all probably familiar with the ways the Bible starts. You're probably able to think about the different people that scripture focuses on in its opening book and chapters. Adam, Eve, Cain and Abel, then things move into Noah. After Noah, you come to Abraham. And you know once you hear Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob follow. After Jacob, you remember Joseph at the end of the book of Genesis. And then the narrative begins with Moses, the telling of redemption history as it occurs in the book of Exodus, focuses on Moses. There's a very brief section in chapters 32 through 34 where there's more focus on Aaron when it comes to the worship of the golden calf. Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and Aaron. When it comes to Exodus 31 and Exodus 35 through 39, and there's only 40 chapters in the book of Exodus, so basically when you get to the end of Exodus, what is the name of the person that scripture focuses on? Been with me so far? You're tracking with Adam, Eve, Cain, Abel, Noah, Abraham, etc. But when it comes to the end of the book of Exodus, the last 10 books of Exodus, who is it about? Who does it focus on? And it's really an essential question because after after chapter 31, where this character is introduced, we read about his activity in chapters 35 through 39 and it just uses the pronoun over and over he and there's all this really in-depth detail around the, the tabernacle being built which is what's going on in these chapters of exodus and we start reading in those chapters 36 to 39 he made for the altar a grating of bronze he cast four rings on the four ends of the bronze grating he made the poles of acacia wood. He inserted the poles into the rings on the side of the altar. Moreover, he made the laver of bronze with its base of bronze. Who is this he who seems to be able to do so many different things? And it's just chapter after chapter. If he did this, he did this, he did this, describing some detail of what went into building the tabernacle of God. Who is it? Everybody all together. Yes. Some, some know. It is Bezalel. You've probably met people named Adam or Abraham or 
Jacob, Joseph, maybe even a Moses or an Aaron, but you don't know many Bezalels. And it's fascinating because really so much of Exodus comes down to what Bezalel does, or at least what he leads the people in doing. So I thought it would be fun just for tonight, especially as we come to a new year and have all sorts of things going on as far as careers and studies and academic pursuits and research, all these different callings represented here. All of you who go into a work week tomorrow and face another Monday, all of you with all of your diversity, all of your different skills, all of the different things you're able to do, to read this passage and to think about Bezalel and really to identify with him, because there's every reason to. So what we're going to do is read Exodus 31, verses 1 through 14, where the narrative begins to tell us about Bezalel. Think about what God is saying in this passage. Think about Bezalel in this passage. And think about you reading this message. The Lord has you here tonight reading this text, listening to a sermon. So think about what you have to do with this. Exodus 31, verses 1 through 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all kinds of craftsmanship, to make artistic designs for work in gold, in silver, and in bronze, and in the cutting of stones for settings, and in the carving of wood, that he may work in all kinds of craftsmanship. And behold, I myself have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahisamach of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all who are skillful, I have put skill, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tent of meeting and the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat upon it and all the furniture of the tent, the table also and its utensils and the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering also with all its utensils and the laver and its stand, the woven garments as well and the holy garments for Aaron, the priest and the garments of his son with which to carry on their priesthood. The anointing oil also and the fragrant incense for the holy place, they are to make them according to all that I have commanded you. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, but as for you speak to the sons of Israel saying, you shall surely observe my Sabbath for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. So now we consider this text by using those three ideas I've already given you. We'll consider it by thinking about the God who is speaking here because it's the Lord who spoke to Moses. So first we'll consider this God, then we'll move on to Bezalel and 
then we'll consider our, ourselves in light of all that we have looked at in this very text. So first, let's see God's place. And the first thing that should stand out to you, and it occurs so frequently in scripture, it becomes sort of plain as day, hiding in plain sight. But look at how this God is not some sort of cosmic force or um, some sort of generic higher power. Uh, notice how he's not a deistic God, you know, somebody who got the world started and then is absent from how it proceeds. Or, nor is he a pantheistic God, a God that is just thought of in terms of a, a generic spirit or some sort of summation of all that we see in nature. He's the personal God. He speaks to Moses. You really don't get more personal than conversation. Face to face, God speaks to Moses as the personal God that he is. And you know that this God is also creator, maker of heaven and earth. And I love that. I know that when you get to these last 20 chapters of Exodus, it's where our reading through the Bible slows down. We get a little bit bogged down in all the details, all of the different instruction as to, all of, as to how all the different things should be made. Gets a little tedious, uses words like cubits, to which we're never quite familiar with. But here's something to think about. This personal God cares about stuff. He made stuff. He brought it forth into existence. And he's mindful of it. This, we get to this point in the Bible, and, and it could be difficult for us to labor through it, and we think, oh, minutia, tedium, so many details. What am I supposed to do with this? And at least one thought we ought to have is those things are important to your God. That's how mindful he is of your life. He knows everything about everything. He doesn't mind explaining and looking at stuff and looking at its different ways of functioning. He is intimately involved with this world that he has made. The creator God has an appreciation for stuff. And he looked upon the stuff he made and said that it was good. And you're made in God's image. And so were these Israelites, including Bezalel. And something we see here with God is that he has a plan for these people that he has made in his image. He expects them to reflect him. And he has creation in mind. Think about those beginning chapters of Genesis where God is creating and his spirit is hovering over the face of the deep and then realize that he concluded those six days with a seventh day of rest and you know as well as I know that God doesn't need rest he didn't need to sleep on the first Sabbath but he was doing it to communicate to you, here's the pattern of how things should be. 
six days of work and a day of rest. Six days of laboring to glorify and enjoy the Lord through a vocation, through a calling, and then resting on the seventh day. The Lord is using these Israelites led by Bezalel to reflect him, to reflect his creativity, to labor six days the same way he as God worked six days to create all things and then rested the Sabbath day. And that's why I finished with reading those last two verses, which go from the work everybody needs to do on the tabernacle to the Sabbath, where God insists that they honor the Sabbath. And you might not quite see the analogy to the creation week, but it's certainly there. It's actually there every time you're at work during a weekday. Every time you have a day off, there is a reason to stop and think that you are reflecting God or should be reflecting God as you go through life creating. It's fascinating. There's all these different things that Bezalel does. He's referred to, as I already said, as key over and over and over. And then we get to the completion of his work. And I think this is just so touching. It's so encouraging and exciting. Verse 43 of chapter 39. This is right before the Lord uh, goes fill, fills this now completed tabernacle with his glory, which is what you read in chapter 40 of Exodus. But right before chapter 40 of Exodus, in verse 43, we read this. Moses examined all the work, and behold, they had done it. Just as the Lord had commanded, this they had done, so Moses blessed them. Doesn't that recall for you what God did over his own creation during the creation week? He inspected it each day and concluded it's good. Moses isn't God, so he doesn't look at the Israel, what the Israelites have created and say, it's good. But what does he do? He blesses them. He notices that this work commanded by the Lord to take place by image bearers of God has been completed according to the Lord's standard and commands. So he blesses these workers who have honored the Lord and, and done in a creaturely way what the creator did during the first week of creation. And the, the tie is even more significant than that. I mean, think about what's going on here. A world in rebellion against God ever since the fall. But at least for these chapters, after we get beyond the idolatry of the golden calf. Verse chapters 36, 37, 38, 39, where Bezalel is in the lead. You actually have on earth as it is in heaven. You have God's will being done on earth, even as it is in heaven. God gave all these commands. Bezalel is leading things. All of these designers and craftsmen go to work and carry out God's command on earth and do it even if, as if they were in heaven. So our God is the creator God, the personal God, and a God to be feared. And I, I think this really um, needs to shape something of our thoughts on this. If you remember, when it, when it comes to um, where Israel is at this point, the wilderness 
around Mount Sinai, you remember that the Israelites were afraid. They saw the thunder and the lightning and the flashes. They even heard a trumpet, the mountain smoking. And we read, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. There was this appropriate fear and reverence in understanding that they were before their personal creator, God. And the reason I think we should consider that is this list of commands that the Lord gives, and they're not suggestions, they're commands. You see that right from our text. All that the Lord commanded. Well, he says, I have commanded you at the end of verse 6. But you see, in understanding the, the fear, the reverence for God, the smoking mountain, the lightning, the sounds, the voice of the Lord, all of those things are behind God commanding all of these intricate ways to make stuff, to make the tabernacle, to organize it, what materials to use, ways of making the tabernacle that God thinks would be profane. That occurs. You can't do this. When it comes to making an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it or cut it with stones. You shall not uh, make it of cut stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. Very detailed instructions. Now think about where Israel is. Think about where Bezalel is. They're before this God and Mount Sinai. And he's saying, you need all these different building materials. And here's how you need to build each thing that is going to go into the tabernacle. All of these different pieces of furniture and utensils and a covering and all of these different elements. Imagine trying to do that to God's standard, following his word, as you're camping indefinitely with your family in the wilderness. All of the cares and concerns and safety measures that would come with being a people perpetually camping in the wilderness who have families, in addition to that, they need to make this tabernacle according to God's command, not suggestion. So it's very encouraging and also a significant tie back to the creation week that this God who is to be feared and is the creator God and is a personal God is the God who provides. He's Jehovah Jireh. He doesn't just give all of these commands and leave you with the expectation that you'll generate the resources yourself, that you'll come up with a good idea as as to how to do it. That's not the way our Lord works. He does give us commands. He is Lord and Savior. He has every right to step into our lives and to tell us what to do. But he leads us in doing just that. He leads us by the Holy Spirit. That's why I keep saying the, the Holy Spirit in the creation account who hovered over the face of the deep, the Holy Spirit who was involved with that creation account working those first six days. That same Holy Spirit 
fills Bezalel. Verse 3, I have filled him with the Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that was at creation is with Bezalel and the Israelites as they develop, create, make the house of God, the tabernacle. The Lord provides his spirit to obey his commands. He also provides Bezalel. Look at the first verse of 31. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, sorry, verse 2, See, I have called by name Bezalel. And there's something awesome about that. We don't read about some miraculous pregnancy that came before the birth of Bezalel. We don't read about the Lord somehow revealing that this person should be named Bezalel. But the word Bezalel means the shelter of God. And here in verse 2, it says, the Lord called him. Isn't that amazing? Like, he has this name, Bezalel, that means the shelter of God, and then his vocation, his calling from God is to build a shelter for God. To literally work with all sorts of materials to create a portable tent full of all sorts of things for worship and sacred rituals. A place for God to dwell, which is literally the shelter of God. So we look at this, and it should amaze us that God called Bezalel and then filled him with his Holy Spirit. He is the God who provides. He does give commands, but he also gives the ability to hear him, to obey him, to follow through, to do here on earth, even as it is in heaven, to consider the will of the Lord, to consider his commands. And even though the world has fallen, and even though we are fallen, because of that spirit, and because this is what we are called to do by God, we're capable. He provides. And that's so much of what is here. It's not just Bezalel, but a holy Ayab. And then it's not just Bezalel and a holy Ayab, but uh, all sorts of artsmen, craftsmen, workers, people who have various skills. The Lord has provided this team of Israelites to work under Bezalel, has given Bezalel his Holy Spirit, and has this team of workers building all of these things. And we can go from that to us. Maybe you already have thought of these parallels. It's, of course, a little odd to think about building a tabernacle in the wilderness. We're not exactly called to do just that. But it really is amazing how little work you have to do to think about these verses to see that it has everything to do with your life. It certainly has everything to do with your work week and your day of rest. So when it comes to you, we have already considered God and the Holy Spirit. We can now think about Jesus Christ and what he accomplished, that he came into the world, that even that is remarkable, and that 
He came into this world of things. He came into this world that involves stuff. He was a carpenter, right? He was working with his hands. He was a craftsman in himself. He was uh, sanctified with the Holy Spirit above measure, so he knew what it was to have the Holy Spirit at work in him, even as he did the work of a carpenter. He was an inhabitor of earth. It's a remarkable thing that God has done, and in so many ways, it encourage, it's a blessing in itself. We can look at our own work, our own activity, our, the way we spend our work weeks, our own callings and vocations, and say, this wasn't above our God. He came to earth and fulfilled his own vocation. He did the will of the Father on earth, even as it is in heaven. He had the Holy Spirit who anointed him above measure. He went to the cross and lived and died to secure forgiveness and to unite me to himself and to make God my Father. So as much as we read about the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and, and see that it even applied with Bezalel, he wasn't writing scripture or uh, dictating a prophecy, he wasn't a, a priest offering up sacrifices, he wasn't a pastor, he wasn't an elder, he wasn't any of those things, but he was filled with the Holy Spirit to be a craftsman for the shelter of God, and God called him to do that. So when we hear the Pentecost sermon from Peter after Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, after he has done everything necessary to save his own people from their sins, after he said, it is finished, after he's done all the atonement necessary, accomplished the redemption to make his people forgiven and united to him, we read Peter saying at Pentecost, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. As many of the Lord our God will call to himself. The God who called Bezalel calls his people to himself, even from afar, and from the location at which Peter said those words, we are those who are afar, far away in time, far away in geography, and yet the Lord calls us, blesses us with the gift of the Holy Spirit, equips us, provides for us, so that we might hear his command and go out into this world and live before him as we work. And think about all of the different trades that are represented in these verses from Exodus chapter 31. So much going on. Verse 3, all kinds of craftsmanship. Artistic designs in verse 4. Gold, silver, bronze. We still have gold, silver, and bronze. People still make things out of gold, silver, and bronze. The cutting of stones the carving of wood, jewelers, carpenters, the woven garments, this is verse 10, the woven garments as well and the holy garments for Aaron the priest, 
And verse 11, the anointing off oil also, the fragrant incense for the holy place. You can only imagine how nervous it must have made Bezalel to think, I'm responsible for all of this. This God has made these commands. They're not suggestions. They're orders. This is the God from Mount Sinai. And the breadth of ability. Engineering needs to take place. Architecture needs to take place. Blacksmiths are necessary. Silversmiths. Metal workers. All of these different things. And then you think even more about it, you know, like the Lord himself had a plan to do this. He describes it to Moses earlier in the book of Exodus, uh, beginning in chapter 25. He begins working through all the details of what he would like out of a tabernacle, out of a shelter for God, a place for God to dwell in. And what goes on with that? Well, planning, calculating, predicting with precision. Does this look like anybody's Monday? Using tools. I mean, you could look and say, well, they didn't need a uh, plumber and they didn't need an electrician and they didn't need a computer programmer. But look, they're using tools to create what the Lord has called them to make, to be craftsmen and artists and designers for the Lord to build the house of the Lord or the tabernacle of the Lord, the tent of the Lord. And Bezalel is not a pastor that we know of, not an elder, deacon, priest, king, or prophet, but he's a worker, a craftsman, an artist, in a sense, a general contractor, the general contractor of the tabernacle. So you see here how the Lord esteems work, that he did it, that creation week, and then rested the seventh, and he calls you to do it, to go out and in your own way be that craftsman, be that artisan, be that cutter of stones, that jeweler, that carpenter, that architect, that engineer. Be all of those things before the face of God. Isn't that the point of this? They're right before God at Mount Sinai. No matter how fearful it might be, it's awesome. They're in God's immediate presence and seeing his power on the mountain. And the book of Exodus close, closes with the glory of the Lord filling the tabernacle made by human hands. What a glorious thing that is. The God of heaven and earth who spoke and brought forth things into existence does something different here, gives commands, fills with the Holy Spirit, calls men to labor, calls men to work. And the result of their doing God's will on earth, even as it is in heaven, is God dwells in the tabernacle they made for him. You see so how beautiful it is. The God who created made image bearers, not so much to create, but to work and develop and establish and to make. And God loves that. He loves thinking, it seems, from God's word of all of the different materials, all of the different tools, Everything an artist has to put into his art. Everything a craftsman has to put into his craft. 
He's made you to do that. It's called taking dominion of the earth. And whether it's making a spreadsheet or programming software or providing financial services, you are called to be one who is self-aware of your vocation, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and your ability, by God's grace, to live before his face doing these things, working. It's fascinating in uh, John chapter 1, verse 14, that's where we read, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. And just a few weeks ago, I pointed out that that word dwell is actually tabernacle. Jesus Christ became flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, tabernacled among us, and we saw his glory. That's how Exodus ends, chapter 40. There's the tabernacle, and God tabernacles among his people by filling that tabernacle with what? His glory. So when we read John 1.14 and see Jesus tabernacled among us, and because we've seen him, we've seen his glory, we realize we have no more need for a tabernacle. Not like the portable tent that the Old Testament Israelites built. It's a different time. It's a different age. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3.16, do you not know that you are a temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The things have changed. No more animal sacrifices. No more need for all of the different furniture and, and lampstands and all of the different things in the tabernacle. No need for the tabernacle itself. That age has passed away. Now we have Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, who does indeed tabernacle with us, shows us the glory of God, and he says, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Spirit. So we can think of all of the different elements that we've discussed as we've looked through verses 1 through 14 of Exodus 31. And we can say, God doesn't need a tabernacle, a tent, a portable tent for worship, but I'm here to work on the house of the Lord nonetheless. I'm all about the shelter of God. I am a participant in working for the kingdom of God that will have no end, the shelter of God. I'm all about being in his presence, living before his face, serving him. just a few things to consider here. I do think it's important to fear the Lord and, and to realize how frightening and even terrifying it must have been there to be in Sinai and get these detailed lists of instructions of what God expects out of the people and the fact that they are commands and not suggestions and that they're in a wilderness and, you know, can't get the fragrant incense from perfumania and can't go to Pottery Barn to find the different tables and 
um, don't have a Home Depot to go to or a Michaels to go to to get supplies. They're in the wilderness and somehow they, they scrape together all of these different supplies and actually fulfill the command that is before them. It's amazing how gracious that God is. He didn't ask something that was impossible. Maybe it sounded that way, but he provided Bezalel, the skilled men, the Holy Spirit, the materials that apparently Israel left Egypt with or was somehow able to come upon even in the wilderness. He provides. And he doesn't just provide that in this verse. Look at how insistent he is on rest. That's why I read verses 12 and 13. What an astounding thing that God speaks to you and says, you know, here's one thing I'm absolutely going to insist on. You take a day off every week, no questions asked. And it really is like that. I mean, you get the death penalty in the Old Testament for not honoring the Sabbath day. And of course, it's not a day off in the sense of Israelites sleeping through the day. And we should make that point that uh, godly rest includes worship. But it was certainly a day off from all of the labor involved with building this tabernacle according to God's specifications. The Sabbath was a day off from their normal work. They labored those six days, and the Lord provided rest for them on the Sabbath. He provides the materials, the Holy Spirit, the abilities, the calling, and rest. Think about the house of the Lord. No more need for a portable tabernacle. But all the ways you are members of the household of God so you serve the church. Filled with the Holy Spirit, you put yourself into the activity of church life. And it's even more comprehensive than that. It's not just the work that you do at the church. Whatever that is, it's wonderful. We need to serve each other, love each other. We need to know the communion of the saints and bear one another's burdens. But something happened just tonight. Tithes and offerings. You see what's going on there? It's, so, it's remarkable. Whatever you are, computer programmer, engineer, carpenter, chef, the Lord, through that work, provides you with money. He's the Lord who provides. And then says, now you can be a contributor to the shelter of God at every worship service that occurs, at least at this church, on Sunday. You participate. He puts you to work. He has called you to this. He rejoices in you laboring six days and in providing for you so that you can participate in the church through tithes and offerings. So look at Bezalel. Think about him. Look at his magnificent achievements by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit. And spend time just thinking, what does it look like for me in my life? I, too, am concerned with the shelter of God, the dwelling place of the Lord, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is my body and everybody else who is a Christian. And I want to uh, end with this. This is... Not quite Martin Luther, but it's channeling Martin Luther. It's uh, in a terrific book by uh, Jean Edward Vieth. 
and he takes something Martin Luther says and sort of amplifies it and brings it up to the present day. So Martin Luther wrote, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread. And he does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, the person who prepared our meal. Today, we might add, the truck drivers who hauled the produce, the factory workers in the food processing plant, the warehouse men, the wholesale distributors, the stock boys, the lady at the checkout counter, bankers, investors, advertisers, lawyers, agricultural scientists, mechanical engineers, and every other player in the nation's economic system, all of these were instrumental in enabling you to eat your morning bagel. I don't think Martin Luther knew what bagels were, but I appreciate the amplification there. But that's the way, that's the idea. God himself wasn't above working six days. Then he became man to live among us, to do the will of the Father here on earth, even as it is in heaven. And now you, here, 2023, you are called to labor six days, quorum Deo, before the face of the Lord, devoted to doing here on earth the will of God, even as it is in heaven. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would indeed pour out your spirit upon us. How thrilling it is to think of that time that Bezalel was working full of the spirit at his craft, making a tabernacle and leading that effort. How thrilling it is to think a thousand years later of Peter saying that the promise of the Holy Spirit was for those who are far off and to realize that we are those who are far off, that we have the Spirit, that we are the temple of the Lord filled with the Spirit to do the work of the Lord here on earth, even as it is in heaven. Give us a sense of this throughout our days. We would even ask that you make the various aspects of our own vocation elements of private worship, rejoicing in having your face on us and watching over us, seeing that at each point you are the God who provides. In your name we pray. Amen.